the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. April 29th, 2021. Senator Tim Scott gave a good address last night in response to Joe Biden's message to Congress. It wasn't exactly what I was proposing, but it was really very good. And when he said America was not a racist country, although he had experienced racism in his life, the progressive left lost all of their sense. As FNC points out, Scott's rhetoric infuriated progressives, and Twitter placed Uncle Tim on its trending topics as more tweets relayed the insulting, racially charged play on his name. Among them was former MSNBC host Turi Niblet. Black conservatives have often been on the receiving end of the insult, such as Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who's repeatedly referred to as Uncle Clarence by MSNBC anchor Joy Reid. Reid also referred to Scott, Tim Scott, as a token black, claiming he was present at a press conference about the minimum wage to just present a, quote, patina of diversity, close quote. I honestly did not think I would see this. Racial attacks on Tim Scott, all for one thing, being conservative while black. As our friend David Harsanyi writes, take MSNBC's Nicole Wallace's contention that the speech in which Scott praised the Trump administration vaccine was, quote, delivered from a planet where facts don't matter, close quote. Operation Warp Speed, Wallace claimed, quote, didn't do anything to get a needle in the arms. So there's a lot of disinformation right there, close quote. Well, it did help boost the life-saving innovation that flows through those needles, not to mention a million needles into every arm, including Joe Biden's, by the time he became president. All the usual suspects took to social media to mock Senator Scott for simultaneously saying the nation wasn't racist and pointing out that he had personally experienced bigotry. Of course, America is a racist nation, the left wailed, before getting Uncle Tim trending on Twitter to try and prove it. The left's demeaning of any African-American who strays from leftist orthodoxy is one of the ugliest acceptable smears in our political discourse today. In any event, Scott's two claims are wholly compatible. Bad actors and ugly ideas exist among peoples of all nations and always will. And yet that does not necessarily mean the nation is itself fundamentally at base or legally or culturally or systematically or even majority racist. We can always do better. But by world standards, the United States is the least racist place in the world. Scott never alleged that racism was non-existent. To do so would be absurd. Scott wrote a police reform bill, in fact, and Democrats, when they were in the Senate, such as Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin, shut down debate using the filibuster, which they now call a relic of Jim Crow, lest Tim Scott get credit for doing something about police reform. In any event, at CNN, 
Van Jones argued that Scott's message, quote, was nonsense, close quote, and that the senator had lost African-Americans, quote, by the tens of millions, close quote, by denying what everyone knew was true about America. This was the tone across left-wing media this morning. Vice President Kamala Harris, however, interesting, was asked by ABC News this morning about Scott's comments, and she said, quote, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its existence today, close quote. These are flagrant, flagrant double standards in politics. And then there is seeing two people see the same thing within 24 hours, but treated completely differently. Kamala Harris and Tim Scott both say America isn't racist. One gets lambasted by racial slurs. The other gets quoted on conservative talk radio approvingly. Is Harris spinning nonsense, does the left think? Is Harris losing tens of millions of black voters? If not, why not? Or are liberals simply trying to smear Scott as a quizzling because they're worried about his appeal? That last question, Harsanyi writes, is rhetorical. Now, an interesting thing on all this, this Twitter trend and left-wing smear of Tim Scott is nowhere reported in the mainstream media. I will guarantee you one thing. If conservatives or right-wingers made a thing of Kamala Harris and her race, so much so that it was trending on Twitter, it'd not just be covered in the newspapers in this country, it'd be covered in every newspaper in this country and would lead every single news story on television, cable and network. Here's the dog that doesn't bark. You don't see stories like that about Kamala Harris because we conservatives actually don't judge or think very much of Kamala Harris's race. Sorry to say, it doesn't impress us or depress us one way or the other. It's nothing she had any responsibility for, and it's irrelevant to, to us, just as we were taught it should be. Nonetheless, the meme and theme from the left and journalist class is that conservatives are the racists and defenders of systemic racism. Let me put forward a thought experiment and a question. Can anyone in listening reach give me an example of a conservative writer or Republican activist, fundraiser, elected official who condemned criticized, lambasted, or even said something a little bit snide about Kamala Harris and her race? Can you find it? You cannot. We don't do it. Doesn't matter to us. We have other concerns about Kamala Harris. Her race and gender ain't them. Funny thing. When the left sees a black conservative, though, this is what happens. When conservatives see liberal African-Americans or blacks or left-wing African-Americans or blacks, it's not their race that we talk about, and we certainly don't call them aunt and uncle anything. This is nowhere reported, though, for that very reason. But there is this story about Senator Scott and the leftist racism which he triggers. 
in the left, which does believe skin color determines thinking, and it is real, it is concrete, it is everywhere, and it won't be reported on, but it is a more real thing than Coca-Cola. The left, obsessed with race and thinking race dictates thought, says America is racist, and the conservative movement is racist. The conservative movement, chock full of millions of African Americans now, is not obsessed with race and thinks the notion that race determines thought is abhorrent and yet is tarred and feathered as racist, systematically and endemically so, endemically and intrinsically meaning native to people and natural. If it's natural and native, we are never told what can be done about it. How does one exterminate it when it's intrinsic and endemic and natural and native? How does one exterminate it? And that's the word I want because that's the word that terrifies me about governments and movements that use race to justify decision-making about rights and liberties and privileges and immunities, that uses race and believe race determines thought, character, and soul. They make it sound like a disease, yet to find a vaccine other than some kind of odd political anti-venom that requires the use of the poison to cure the envenomation of society. What's the poison they use in their anti-venom? Every ethic ever taught by eugenicists from KKK and the Nation of Islam to Adolf Hitler. Hitler had a phrase for this, too. It wasn't systemic racism. It was fixed notions. In Mein Kampf, he would write, quote, only a Jew can praise an institution which is as corrupt and false as himself, close quote. He was writing of the belief in democracy, an institution to Hitler as corrupt and false as every Jew who believed in democracy. I can nearly hear AOC today say, quote, only a conservative can praise a country as corrupt and false as himself, close quote. This was the point, of course, of attacking American greatness here. This is the point of attacking America as systematically racist. This is the point of deriding conservatives who are patriotic and love their country and why they want to wipe patriotism from the public square, as in at professional athletic games and elsewhere. As the Jew was to Germany, the white is to America today, or at least it's becoming that way. As the conservative is to America now, is as the Cossack or bourgeoisie was to the Soviet Union. Did you know Stalin deployed a policy called decossackization? It's a hard word to say. Decossackization? Decossackization. Did you know if you thought wrong politically in the USSR, you were known as psychologically and psychiatrically unfit? and had to be institutionalized. In Germany, the wrong races were genetically unfit. In the Soviet Union, they were psychologically and mentally unfit. When I hear major university professors from departments of psychiatry and psychology on major television networks proclaiming conservatives and Donald Trump as psychiatrically and psychologically unfit, having never once diagnosed him in person, and then see them publishing books and getting publishing contracts with series of psychiatrists writing the same thing about Donald Trump and his mental infirmity, I see the Soviet anti-venin all over 
again. And when I hear liberals on the left tell us that by dint of your race you must think this way or that, I see the Third Reich anti-venom all all over again. Perhaps this is the answer to a question that used to come up a lot but is so forgotten now as so far away history that it hardly ever comes up. But people used to wonder why were so many Jews involved in the civil rights movement for blacks in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries America. I guess I can answer the same way Harry V. Jaffa answered fellow academics as to why he was so fascinated with slavery as a white Jewish man. He would say, quote, well, Moses taught us a few things about slavery and the notion of let my people go, didn't he? Perhaps this is an answer to the question as to why Jewish civil rights organizations in the 1970s supported anti-affirmative action legal battles, including on behalf of the case of Alan Pocky, who sued the UC system for racial discrimination. We know where this goes. We know how this ends, or used to. Abraham Joshua Heschel was maybe the most prominent American rabbi of his age, at least in the top three, and made a big effort to work with and march with Martin Luther King Jr. This is what he told Martin Luther King at a speech in which he was addressing him in Chicago, quote, to act in the spirit of religion is to unite what lies apart, to remember that humanity as a whole is God's beloved child. To act in the spirit of race is to sunder, to slash, to dismember the flesh of living humanity. Race as a normative legal or political concept is capable of expanding to formidable dimensions. A mere thought, it extends to become a way of thinking, a highway of insolence, as well as a standard of values, overriding truth, justice, and beauty. As a standard of values and behavior, race operates as a comprehensive doctrine as racism. And racism is worse than idolatry. Racism is Satanism, unmitigated evil. Few of us seem to realize how insidious, how radical, how universal an evil racism is. Few of us realize that racism is man's gravest threat to man, the maximum of hatred for a minimum of reason, the maximum of cruelty for a minimum of thinking. You cannot worship God and at the same time look at man as if he were a horse or a member of anything other than the human race. To think of man in terms of black, white, or yellow is more than an error. It is an eye disease, a cancer of the soul. The redeeming quality of man lies in his ability to sense his kinship with all men. Yet there is a deadly poison that inflames the eye, making us see the generality of race but not the uniqueness of the human face. Pigmentation is what counts. What we need is an NAAAP, a National Association for the Advancement of All People. That was Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel marching with Martin Luther King Jr. May I repeat, as a standard of values and behavior, race operates as a comprehensive doctrine as racism. I close with those haunting words of Leo Strauss, however, 
because they still echo. It would not be the first time that a nation defeated on the battlefield and, as it were, annihilated as a political entity had deprived its conqueror of the most sublime fruit of victory by imposing on him the yoke of his own thought. Whatever might be true of the thought of the American people, American social science has adopted the very attitude about natural right, which a generation ago could be described as characteristically German. German relativism and Soviet Marxism were conquered by the West, with America in the lead. But did we impose our views on the conquered, or did the conquered, in an odd lost causeway, impose their views on us, the victors? How do we, in other words, destroy regimes based on racial superiority and inferiority and religious and class superiority and inferiority only to become a regime that engages routinely in both and shames and marginalizes those who don't go along with the program? Shames and marginalizes. No makes untermenschen of beyond the pale of respectable dialogue and thus respectable citizenship and thus respected rights. Tim Scott could help save this country. The sad part about saying that is that if he doesn't, something far worse than what we've seen over the past years on its way. How did Hilaire Belloc put it? The moral is that little boys should not be given dangerous toys. The left today, male, female, other, elected, unelected, I don't care. They are little boys. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Despite uh, Joe Biden last night talking us Talking to us about now is the time to root out systemic racism that plagues America. His phrase, plagues America, despite Kamala Harris having in the past, recent past, like a week ago, saying America has a long history of systemic racism and black Americans have been treated throughout the course of our history as less than human, despite her saying the life of a black person in America has never been treated as fully human, despite her condemnation of William Barr last year and Donald Trump for denying systemic racism exists in America, there was this exchange with George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America this morning. Senator Tim Scott said last night that America is not a racist country. Do you agree with that? And what do you make of his warning against fighting discrimination with more discrimination? I believe that we need to address, well, first of all, no, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its, and its existence today. And I, I applaud the president for always having the ability and the courage, frankly, to speak the truth about it. All right, he stop. Spoke- so last night he says America is a racist country. She says, no, it's not. And I agree with how the president talks about these things. Go outside and get your story straight or just don't because we know you're playing a game with us that doesn't work. You're just I, – I get it, go, going, going through the motions of that interview because you don't want to be the vice president of the United States who's known <clears throat> for lambasting the country for which you are the vice president. I don't think 
I know of a State of the Union speech or an annual message to Congress, as this technically was, I don't think I can remember a president of the United States who used his annual message to Congress or State of the Union to self-flagellate and condemn this country. I, I, I think that's novel. And I, just as I thought it was novel when the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. did it two weeks ago, I think it's novel. And I also think it's dangerous. It's dangerous because a country that stops believing in itself stops being, as everyone from Plato to Jean-Francois Ravel has pointed out, instructed, taught. The other interesting thing to me is Joe Biden is proposing a lot of things, two trillion here, 1.8 trillion there, another trillion or two here. He's proposing a lot of financial expenditures and he's signing a lot of executive orders and he's operating as if he doesn't need Republicans because he doesn't. Technically, he doesn't and he's operating that way. He's operating without Republicans on major spending bills, on major pieces of legislation getting no buy-in, just like Obamacare. How good was it for Obamacare that no Republicans bought into it and they made no effort to get Republicans to buy into it? Remember what Barack Obama said, elections have consequences. That was his response to no Republicans signing on. I don't think it's a good idea to do massive legislation in this country without some buy-in, some buy-in from the other party. Because this is one big country and all your talk about red America, blue America, America is what I care about, Republican, Democrat, Americans are who I – all this business about reaching across the aisle, all this talk about joining the other side and bringing them along, all this talk about inclusion. Donald Trump had more Democrats sign on to legislation he side than Joe Biden has yet. Yet, you could always count on a few Democrats signing on with a Republican piece of legislation. If there was bipartisanship, if there was bipartisanship over the last two presidencies, it was because Democrats bought into what Republicans were doing because Republicans made an effort to get them on board. Joe Biden doesn't care about getting Republicans on board. Why am I spending a moment on this? Because he's acting as if he has a huge mandate. He doesn't. It was a thin, thin margin he won by. But more importantly, how many people tuned into the speech last night? That's an indicator of something. Doesn't box office matter? Less than half of him, less than half the number who tuned in to any Donald Trump message to Congress. Less than half. Pathetic. He wasn't watched. I think he's irrelevant. I think Kamala Harris is relevant. She's the one to watch. We'll be right back.
Hey, it's Seth Liebson here for Solar Sandy. If you're tired of paying power bills and are worried about power bills increasing, which they will, stop giving your money away and give Solar Sandy a call. Not only is Solar Sandy a friend, she's the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona and actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when you go solar, you do it the right way. Solar Sandy has the formula. She is the right way. If you sign up with Solar Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. She'll take appointments by Zoom or in person, and I really ask you to read the testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. Sandy has it right. And she's going to save you money. And she's going to give you a $1,000 bonus at signing on top of it. If you think Washington spending is a mess and corrupt, wait till the power company monopolies are done with you. Don't play in their pool. Go with Solar Sandy. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com and let Sandy do all the work. Or call her at 623-850-8229. That's AskSolarSandy.com or 623-850-8229. Eight five zero eight two two nine. I asked Bill a question. I don't know if it's true of you and the audience. Um, we have what's known as bumper music. It's the music that introduces a segment and takes us out of a segment. I'm actually curious as to where that ever came from. Now that I think about it, why would you, why why do you need music? Why not? What else would you have? I don't know. It's made it fun. It's made it better. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. But do you ever sometimes hear the music, which starts about a minute into the going into the commercial? Do you ever kind of wish, if it's a song you like, that I stop talking sooner so you can hear more? <laughs> I sometimes do that myself when I'm done making my pitch, and I hear, oh, darn, I would have liked to have heard more of that one. But, Bill, I asked you that, and that doesn't bother you. You said that doesn't bother you. But what are your five top bumper songs we have like a thousand don't we approaching yes by the way why why are what did you furtively take away that one yes you did by by mama cass you did i did not disappear mama cass it hasn't played in years you still in well it takes about three months on normal rotation what, it doesn't what, what what five are your favorite bumpers or do you need to think about it I need to think more, but Don Williams' Good Old Boys is on my list. No I kidding. I love that voice. Yeah, that voice is special. Uh, and you can use songs you picked if you want. I don't I, think— That's too, too easy, then. I just pick mine. Well, it's too hard for me to pick a song I like that you picked. Oh, no. <laughs> that was pretty Different funny. reasons, huh? <laughs> the other thing about last night was kind of interesting. Am I the only one who thought this weird? I, I know I'm not. But did you find it weird watching the State of the Union— you have a historical moment in some respects, and fine. Let me let me give it to those who take it as emotionally important that for the first time you saw an annual message to Congress with two women sitting behind the president. It's a historical moment. It is, especially if you think that that could never happen. I suppose it's less important to someone like me or other conservatives because we never thought it couldn't happen. You know, it's 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 an odd thing. I I think Obama's election in some respects was more important 
to Democrats than Republicans. And in some respects, what we saw last night was more important to Democrats than Republicans in this sense. Not that we want to in any shape, you know, be sore losers, but we always thought this country would and could have female speakers of the House and female vice presidents and female presidents and black vice presidents and black presidents. We just always thought good enough of this country. You're the ones who are always telling us how racist and impossible it is. You've now had a twice elected black president and a vice president who's black who's now elected in record numbers. How far along and much more do you want to go down the road of telling us how racist we are as we're watching this entirely different America that you said could never happen that we always said could? I suppose you don't want to be proven wrong and you – at once are proud and want to deny the significance of it in some respects. It can happen here or it can't. You tell me. And if it can, how systematically racist are we? Obviously not. But in any event, the point being that scene last night of two women behind the president of the United States, for those that are moved by that sort of thing, that was a big moment. And yet here you have them all in masks. All of whom are vaccined, by the way, all of whom have been double vaccined, all with more than six feet between each other. And they're all masked. Everyone is masked. Was it a little weird that you couldn't see their faces? I think it's weird. I'll tell you what's more weird. And this I don't think many people have picked up on. And I think I'm absolutely right about it. And I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be corrected if I'm wrong. because I don't want to give out bad advice. But I have read as I think much as any lay person can or has, maybe not as much as Lou Holman, but I've, I've read as much as I can. He's, well, he's also not a lay person. He's an expert. I'm a lay person about transmission and exposure and all that sort of thing. And this notion that Joe Biden goes down the hallway of Congress fist bumping people. Everyone's masked, everyone's vaccinated, and he's fist bumping people because handshakes are um, discouraged by the CDC. CDC says handshaking is a bad idea. Do you know why handshaking is a bad idea? People just say, oh, handshaking is a bad idea, lots of germs. Do you know why? Can you tell me why handshaking is a bad idea in a time of a virus bill? People touch, yeah, exactly. You can use your words. People might touch their face yeah, after. Yeah, or their nose or their mouth that they might cough into it, which they're not supposed to do, but Joe Biden does all the time. That's the reason, because people, you know, will cough or sneeze into their hand. Let me tell you something. The fist bump is worse. This, this fist bump notion, again, Tell me if you think I'm wrong because I don't want to be wrong about this sort of stuff. I want to be right and I'll correct myself. But this notion that by fist bumping ourselves, we're engaging in what Hadleyarchus calls what? Rituals of empty Exquisite rituals of empty exactitude. Write it down. Ex- exquisite rituals. Not funny, Bill. Not funny. Exquisite rituals of empty 
meaning, significance. You know why the uh, fist bump is worse than the handshake? And they're engaging in absurdities here? Well, I'll tell you when we come back. How's that? Just don't fist bump or handshake in the next two minutes. Here's Mama Cass. Exquisite marriage of lyrics and music by Jimmy Webb and Glenn Campbell. Margaret's in Phoenix. Hello, Margaret. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Great. Thank you. (laughs) What's going on? Okay. Well, I was listening to you a couple of days ago, and you you had the the guy that uh, said, women are competitors, competitors that Dennis Prager uses on his... Right, 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 right. Spencer Tracy in Adam's rib telling Catherine Hepburn he wants a wife, not a competitor. No, I don't think so. Oh. I think it's Eddie Foy Sr., who was uh, a... uh, made quite a few movies in his latter days, and uh, I believe he might have said it in... Pajama Game movie. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Um, I recognize his. Vo- I recognize his voice on um, Dennis Prager's Hour. The only problem mm-hmm. is, I I think I'm. I know I'm right. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to watch the movie. Yeah, I, I think short. I'm right about this one, Margaret. I hate to tell you. I don't know how to handle this exactly. Hey, I'm going to – I have pajama game. Now, All I, right. I, I, I didn't want to have to see it. I now know. I'm, yeah, Now you have to. Yeah. We, we can't have an unresolved <laughs> dispute like this between us, can we? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was competition. Well, it is oh, now. You've turned it into one. This is Between what happens. The males and the females. Everything in my life is a competition, and you've you've turned it into one now. So, <laughs> the pajama game. Uh, the muse. When, when did that come out? I think in the in the fifties. Yeah. So I think it was about ten years later than Adam's Rib. Believe it or uh, with not, Doris Day. Doris Day, and you think it was Eddie Foy who said that, huh? Uh huh. He he was one of the uh, supporting characters. He was supporting the characters in quite. All a right. Few well, I love you, Margaret, and I don't <laughs> know what to tell you because I've never been in a situation where someone has been so nice, and yet I am. Almost 99.9% certain that it was Adam's Rib. So will you do the duty for all of us and rewatch Pajama uh, Game and call and me on also, Monday? Also, I want to say yes. my brother was a fan of Maynard Ferguson, so of course I heard it very often. Aw, was he a trumpet player? And that was the first, uh, the very first time I heard your show. Aww. I said, whoa, whoa. He's yeah, you don't Maynard. hear a lot of Ferguson on radio, do you? It's kind of fun. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Margaret. All right, dear. I'll look forward to hearing back from you. Okay, thanks. Okay, Bye. dear. I we listen. We're Americans. We hang our disputes out in the front window, and if it's going to be a knockdown, throwdown argument like that with Margaret, we'll hang it out in the front window. Um, and we'll get to the bottom of things. We'll get to the truth of it together through the scientific method. I'm Seth. Oh my gosh. Fog City Midge coming right up. You're going to love this.